with the advent of data analytics, we can better tailor programs for highest impact and also use the same information to evaluate if the programs are impactful in addressing climate change. I'm J.B. Wogan from Mathematica, and welcome back to On the Evidence, a show that examines what we know about today's most urgent challenges and how we can make progress in addressing them. On today's episode, we're going to talk about perhaps the most urgent policy challenge facing humanity in the 21st century, which is climate change. And we're going to talk about the role that data and evidence can or should play in confronting the climate crisis. My guest is Talika Narayan, an agriculture and development economist who now leads the climate change practice at Mathematica. Climate change poses a unique threat to society in that it touches on so many different areas of life, from the environment, to food security, to health, to economic inequality, and it has a global reach. Such a multifaceted problem demands innovative and sustainable solutions that simultaneously meet ambitious reduction targets for carbon dioxide emissions, while also helping vulnerable communities become more resilient. While climate change is a relatively new focus for our organization, it stems from a long-standing commitment to marshal the best available evidence to confront big, thorny problems threatening the collective good, and ultimately, to improve people's lives. To do so, we draw on our technical expertise in research and data analytics and our subject matter expertise in areas like health, education, poverty reduction, clean energy, and sustainable agriculture. If we needed any reminder of the urgency of climate change as a problem, Talika and I spoke in the fall of 2022 on the heels of one of the hottest summers on record in the United States. About a week before our interview, the Associated Press reported that record-breaking floods in Pakistan had killed more than 1,700 people and affected another 33 million, while causing $40 billion in damages. Only a year earlier, the World Health Organization declared climate change the single biggest health threat facing humanity. In our interview, Talika and I discuss what it means for researchers and evidence-driven decision-makers to think about the implications of climate change on people's health and overall well-being. We discuss the role that big data and digital technology can play in improving our understanding of climate change's impacts and how to address them. We touch on the importance of organizations like Mathematica, with deep roots in social science research and data analytics, becoming more involved in informing climate policy. And finally, we talk about the challenges and opportunities for communities across the world to share evidence and learn more from one another when presented with problems like climate change or pandemics that don't respect national borders. A full transcript of the conversation is available in the show notes and on mathematica.org. I hope you find the conversation useful. Talika, there's growing consensus that as we find solutions to reduce carbon emissions, we'll have to come up with solutions to address its knock-on effects as well. The knock-on effects 
of a changing environment on people from access to food to heat-related illnesses to the contraction or expansion of entire industries. So for a research organization like Mathematica, which has a long history of studying the effects of programs and policies on human well-being, what does it mean for us and our work that policy leaders are increasingly concerned about climate change's effects on people? You asked a very important question. As, and as you know, Mathematica has been working with agencies in the U.S. and indeed across the world that are in the business of providing key services to communities. And that is all guided by our mission to have an impact on well-being of people worldwide and our focus particularly on driving an equitable and just world where evidence drives the decision. And the impact that climate change is having and is expected to have on people globally with large inequities and in how the impacts will be felt and vast disparities, you know, in the abilities of communities and countries to adapt to it. Our work studying the effects of these programs and policies on human beings becomes immediately relevant and insightful. For example, you know, our long-standing work in supporting the health and human services, including the centers of Medicare and Medicaid, in the United States means that we have in-depth understanding of the population served by these agencies and the program, their access to safety net services and their vulnerabilities. And because we manage a lot of these data sets, we have uh, the ability to take information from these data sets and translate that in understanding how climate might impact them. For example, we developed the Climate Watch tool that combines data on temperature and dew point data on social vulnerability and racial composition on the Medicaid beneficiaries. And this tool sort of helps you understand how heat waves could impact communities, who is more susceptible, what, by what types of diseases and the eventual impact of those illnesses. So these are so this is just an example of the way in which the work that we do can really bring important information to bear that policymakers can use in their work. And that... that is speaking to the implications in a, in a domestic context. But I know you've done a lot of work on international policy research. So I'm curious, what does it maybe mean for evidence on a more global scale or in countries outside of the U.S.? Yes, yeah. We are, I have personally been doing a lot of work in the international space, and our work has been with many donor agencies working on the impact of their programs on communities of interest. And, you know, in the international space, climate change impact on communities is complicated by the fact that there are many market imperfections. So let's take the case of the Climate Watch tool, and which has been developed in the context of the U.S. domestic space. But if you're trying to understand the impact of climate on health in the, in the developing country context, Access to healthcare is for implying that it is not just the lack of data that limits our ability to measure health impacts. It is that the same stressors have a complex area of impact on people. In developing countries, for example, access to insurance is poor. The large amounts of labor force are in the informal sector with low job security, reliance on daily wages, which means that any sick days can translate to food insecurity with compounding impacts on health. And rural populations in developing countries depend on agriculture as a key source of income. So, which means that the climate stressors such as heat are not only impacting your health and well-being, it's also possibly affecting your yields and 
that can plunge them into food insecurity, make them more susceptible to diseases and even mortality because there is poor access to health services. You've already touched on so many different, I mean, it seems like this would be a really exciting area of research to be looking at the knock-on effects of climate change and to be looking beyond just, you know, does something make carbon emissions go up or down? But I imagine that also might present challenges. Are there, are there challenges with trying to measure the social and health effects of climate change or policies designed to address climate change? Well, you actually mentioned in, in asking a question, you talked about reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, and that is sort of speaking to the work that has to be done in addressing mitigation. And the piece that we were opening and having this conversation about uh, was around uh, what is the knock-on effect on people, which is essentially this issue of adaptation. How can we make people more resilient to climate and climate stressors? And on the, the two things I would say, one, when we are looking at overall addressing climate change and we kind of simultaneously have to work on both mitigation and adaptation interventions, a place where sort of we come in is to really help policymakers understand what trade-offs there might be when they're looking at interventions. What is the impact of their interventions and in, say improving adaptation that could also influence its contribution on greenhouse gas emissions. For example, uh, with USA Bureau of Africa, with their sustainable agriculture team, uh, we were developing a decision support tool that not only took a, looked at the climate forecast to sort of look at what is the predictive impact on yield of the new technologies that we're looking at. Now, these are technologies that are meant to make uh, the farmers more resilient. They're meant to be crops that are more drought tolerant, such as millets. Uh, we were looking at what that would look like, but also simultaneously understanding what will be the influence of those interventions on mitigation itself? Because these crops were also meant to provide better fodder for livestock, and livestock, as you may know, is associated with greenhouse gas emissions. Now, this is just a small example of the trade-offs that can exist between technologies that are providing more resilience, but at the same time may be associated with greater emissions. Uh, another example could be where are you coming in with investments in irrigation? And if investments in irrigation lead to crop choices, such as greater cultivation of rice and larger, larger tracts of land, which are also associated with greenhouse gas emissions. So you have to sort of balance these things. And I'm hoping that we are able to look at uh, more broadly the dual impact of interventions and how they and how they will affect each other and so that we can find win-win strategies for addressing climate change. Does it demand more data, more data sources, and a more sophisticated ability to synthesize or interpret the data from these different sources? Because it seems like you've got, there's the emissions data, but then there may be other things you're looking at, like economic productivity of the agricultural sector, which seems like that would require a different skill set or subject matter expertise or or familiarity with a different data set than just emissions. Is that is that going to be a part of the challenge going forward? That's an important question and, and you are basically putting your finger on this general idea and notion that 
as we go from supporting work with our domestic clients where data are rich, there is huge, large administrative data, the kind of data that we are able to access uh, in developing the Climate Watch tool or other work that we do. So, so that is accurate, but the way that I come to it is not what is the data that I need to do the analysis, but here's all this data available and what can we do best to utilize and leverage what we have. Gotcha. But overall, where we are headed is actually there is so much more data than we ever had before. And as donors are engaging and over time, there has been a lot of focus on that. Health programs, other sectoral programs are increasingly gathering data on service delivery. And at the same time, data innovations are ongoing that combine big data and also new analytical techniques such as machine learning to fill data gaps. You know, just a few weeks back, I was uh, at the SAT summit that brings together leaders in satellite industry and experts in global development. Do you know that there are more than 2,000 satellites circling the Earth and there are ever more numbers of those planned in the future years? And as you know, this area has also been commercialized and there have been path-breaking innovations. You know, some satellites are as small as the size of a shoebox. So the cost of the data generated by these satellites is decreasing and they're providing more information at lower and lower resolution. And these satellites have the power to bring data to data poor regions, regions that are hard to reach, regions that are insecure. And satellites are being supported to use early warning systems and flood nations to measure crop yield pixel by pixel. And Mathematica is, you know, is using this kind of remote sensing, um, you know, data from the satellites to estimate crop types and crop yields for these projects, including uh, in, say, Niger and Burkina. So this is just an example. Overall, there is a sea change in the data available. And when advanced analytics is applied to it, we can begin to map the earth along many socioeconomic factors, agroecological factors, factors that influence disease prevalence, factors that influence adaptive capacity of communities. And what that means is that with the advent of data analytics, we can better tailor programs for highest impact and also use the same information to evaluate if the programs are impactful in addressing climate change. Uh, I was thinking about the timing of this interview, and I feel really fortunate that we're talking in 2022 and that we're, we're talking as you've come into this new position overseeing Mathematica's climate change work, because I think it's a really interesting moment for the, the country and maybe the world in terms of how it, it deals with climate change. And I'm thinking about a couple of things, like in the past couple of years, Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which both have provisions that are intended to address climate change. And then for the first time ever, the White House has a National Climate Task Force and an Office of Domestic Climate Policy. And then there also are major donor agencies such as USAID, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, and the Rockefeller Foundation, just to name a few of those agencies, they've all committed themselves to addressing climate change. And then internally, even here at Mathematica, our staff uh, have identified climate change as the most pressing problem in the next decade. There was a staff survey that sort of surfaced that insight, and uh, that has led us to focus more on how we contribute our evidence-based expertise combating climate change. But for all of the activity occurring now, when I was prepping for our interview, I was looking at your resume, and your resume is a reminder that it's not as if social science research about climate change 
is new. I mean, I saw, uh, just to pull up your resume, say I saw some fun uh, early publications that I would love to read that were about like the environmental impact of uh, wood preservatives or the costs and benefits of a container recycling rule. And those are, you know, early, early knots research. Um, and then even just like 10 years ago, research on mitigating greenhouse gas emissions from the rice and livestock sector in Vietnam, which is all to say that what seems to me that is new is the technology, as you were referring to, like those satellites, the, the, the increasing number of satellites proliferating around our, our, our planet, and the analytical capacity to do something with the data that comes from that technology. So when thinking about the impact of technology, what are social scientists able to do today that would not have been possible, or at least would have been more challenging for a researcher like you a couple decades ago? Yeah, and, and I think that I talked to you about, of course, new data sources uh, that are coming in. And, you know, one of the things that have, uh, has also happened recently is the increased access and use of mobile data. These are all examples of ways in which technologies are advancing in a way that is creating passive data, data where, you know, you're not doing anything, but data is getting generated. So as people are talking on their phones, you know, their mobile mobile towers are capturing that activity and using all of that data, you can track economic activity. You can understand how uh, certain areas or locations are being used. And there's a lot of innovation going on in accessing uh, that kind of data to do what's called gap filling and understanding economic indicators. So, for example, recognizing the fact that there is actually more data available than we think, one of the innovations that we've been working on is uh, what's called a resilience platform, which recognizes that there's information from multiple sectors that influences our ability to be adaptive to the climate, our ability to provide services that can make you more resilient to climate. So what we're doing with the resilience platform is we are bringing all the data that are available in a, a certain context uh, that will be important to uh, program for climate adaptation. And we are also making sure that this information is made available to the communities, to the local governments and agencies that will be planning these interventions so that we can support uh, locally led adaptation. These uh, the resilience platform also includes climate forecasts and the expected climate stressors that are that are likely to prevail. And when you take all of this data and you start doing analytics, you can also start looking at some outcomes uh, using predictive analytics. What is likely to be the yield uh, impact of the climate stressors, uh, and what influence could that have on food insecurity, and Added to that, if we can include ways of rapidly and with agility measure resilience itself, we can better target and tailor the programming to improve climate adaptation and resilience. And as donors are working to improve climate adaptation, it is vital that we can measure rigorously and accurately if these investments are having impact. And this is where organizations like Mathematica have a role to play to be able to generate these uh, verifiable and rigorous measures of impact. 
And this is how the resilience platform can support such investments and support such donors in making sure that they are getting the return of investments that they're expecting and simultaneously impacting the communities. Okay. And you were talking about the resilience platform earlier. I was just curious, how how are we defining resilience in this conversation? Is there, is it, is it, it sounds like it crosses multiple domains like health and environment and maybe economic well-being, but are there, yeah, could you give me a couple examples of the, the sorts of things that make up resilience and then how that would relate to the sorts of data that would be informing the resilience platform? I would use your uh, question to say for listeners who are uh, listening to this podcast today and who are really curious to come to our webinar that we're hosting on December 6th on exactly this topic. Oh, perfect. uh, On how to measure resilience. But I do want to say that this is an important piece because resilience has to be defined or resilience of systems, energy systems, resilience of energy systems to be able to provide power and uh, resilience of food systems. So resilience is a concept that describes systems in general that support community well-being, but it's also a concept that defines communities and individuals. And there is actually um, several approaches to measuring it. And in this webinar, we're hoping to talk about those different approaches and talk about how you can use the right approach and have a framework to use the right approach depending on the need and context. So I hope that many of your listeners can and can join for that webinar. Yeah, and we'll we'll include a link about the webinar in our show notes. So I have a silly question about data and how we can act upon that information and uh, listeners will a little bit learn a little bit more about me but I have one of those smart watches like a lot of people and it gives me daily readouts about my sleep from the night before. And the app that I use mostly tells me two, two types of information, how much I slept and what the quality of my sleep was. And occasionally I'll get you know a tip about how to sleep better, like, hey, JB, don't exercise so close to bed, to your bedtime. But I really would like more of that latter type of action-oriented information, especially when I'm you know, having a stretch of bad sleep. I'm wondering if there's an analogous situation with climate change data. Like we have lots of information quantifying the problem with hotter average temperatures or worsening air quality, but at least, you know, in my my intake and digestive news about science and social science, I don't see as much about the steps we can take to remedy the problem. So, for example, you know, which evidence-based interventions are most effective at reducing carbon dioxide emissions? Do you, I don't know if you agree with that take or not, but do you see a knowledge gap around solutions to climate change that evidence-driven organizations like Mathematica might fill? Uh, Yeah, that's an interesting question. But before I uh, take your question about does it have an implication or direct application on interventions that are reducing carbon dioxide emissions or mitigation options, I do want to say that even in that space that you're talking about, you know, when when should I, you know, how did I sleep and so on and so forth, there is... There is, as you know, a lot of early warning systems around heat and which are really important to address adverse impact of uh, climate change. Even there, while I would not say there's a knowledge gap, but there is still a lot 
more refinement that analysis can help with. For example, some of the analysis that we can do in, from the Climate Watch tool can help assess that when there was a heat stress, were there adverse impacts of those heat stress more differentially felt on certain types of communities or certain types of demographies? And from there, you sort of can uncover some, in some cases, that the communities that were not, uh, you know, English speaking, were more more adversely affected. So does that mean that we need to communicate these um, early warning systems, particularly in those target areas with different languages? This is just a very fine-tuned uh, example of how analytics can really have an impact when you are getting to the point of intervention and getting to the point of last mile delivery. Okay, so even even just in terms of defining the problem, there is still work to be done so that data can still help. Data can still help. And I, I definitely come from the standpoint where overall, we don't have dearth of technologies, we don't have dearth of solutions. I think the biggest impact that analytics can do is in sharpening our ability to make those technology and solutions more accessible to the people. The last mile gap still remains the biggest challenge. And even so, when you come back to the mitigation options, is there a knowledge gap that we can fill about what are the, what are the most effective ways of reducing carbon dioxide emissions? I would, I would say that overall, you know, the biggest challenge is the politics of it and the most impactful solutions are in fact in front of us. But again, over there also, what we can do is shed more light. Analysis can shed more light on understanding that for those solutions, what are the behavioral constraints that we might face? What are the distributional impacts of the interventions? Are there clear winners and losers? What is the impact on women and youth? And if we can lay out those those details more clearly, then we can already find where are the places where there's going to be a socio-political impediment to adopting it. We're talking in the United States. We do we do research in more than 50 countries. And occasionally we encounter situations like the COVID-19 pandemic where people across the globe, across different countries, share common challenges and need similar solutions. And climate change strikes me as another problem or maybe the problem where communities in different countries can learn from each other. So how are you thinking about the potential for climate research to inform decision makers here in the U.S. and outside uh, outside the U.S. in other countries? That is actually a topic that is very um, central in my mind, this idea of uh, sharing the information, learning from each other, identifying ideas that are scalable. And in fact, one of the ideas that we're working on right now is actually creating a global social good. And the starting point for this that we are we are talking about is to simply say that let's bring in all the data that are available for a specific outcome. Say, for example, you want to reduce uh, the impact of climate on health outcomes. This is the, to really assess that this does not require data only related to climate and health outcomes, but it actually requires data on all the sectors that might mediate the impact of climate on health, such as, as I described earlier in the talk, 
What is the dependence of the communities on agriculture? What might be the effect of climate on, on yields? And, and really be able to create a mapping of communities at the lowest level resolution possible on the key factors that might influence the impact of climate on health. And with that foundational understanding, then we can start to target the communities that look similar to each other, to create and tailor interventions that are appropriate for communities that have the same kind of mapping or fingerprint, and, and to then be able to also use that to eventually evaluate their impact. And if that becomes the foundational basis of sort of programming, then we can begin to then scale up the programs that work well to other areas that have the similar kind of attributes. Um, so I'm very interested in this idea and working to see if we can bring it to fruition in, in some uh, regions and then apply it more broadly. Talika, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I'm really interested to see how the climate change work at Mathematica progresses and evolves, but also I'm hopeful that in general, we start to see more progress nationally and globally around addressing climate change. Okay, thank you. Thanks to my guest, Talika Narayan. And thank you for listening to another episode of On the Evidence, the Mathematica podcast. In the show notes, I'll include more information about Mathematica's recent work on climate change. A full transcript of the conversation is available on the blog associated with this episode at mathematica.org. To keep up with future episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, or follow us on Twitter. I'm at JB Wogan. Mathematica is at Mathematica Now.